How old? How old is he? Uh, he's uh, 15. 15. So he's he's just primed to help you out on the computer. Oh, he's saying I'm already a clueless old man. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> no. look, got something to look forward to. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> Wait, is the other one 17? Wait, do you get to that age? It's even worse because they know everything. Oh man. Not looking forward to that, man. Do they still go out in the woods with you? Oh yeah, Zeb's actually he took off to go goose hunting right now, and uh, yeah, so they they still like to hunt. Uh, not too bad in that respect. So we got uh, Mark, Jason. How do you say his last name? Dufresne. Dufresne. I was gonna mess it up. Of course you are, and he will by the end of this podcast, Mark. One of us is gonna butcher it. That's all right. I'm used to it. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you got pretty interesting deal you're you're are you a biologist right yeah i went to college for wildlife biology um worked in the field for a while worked oregon and uh alaska and out in the midwest and as well as uh, here in new england what part of oregon i was down in medford um oh man you're making neighbors with 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 jason i'm right down the road i'm out of grant's pass Grants Pass. Oh, I was in there. Uh, yeah, I was uh, trapping blacktail deer for a mortality study, and then we collared them and up in Crater Lake. Uh, you know, it was fun. How long ago was that? Oh, uh, I'm too old. I've already forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even while. born, Jason. You weren't yeah, even probably. born. You were a youngin. I think it must be 20, 20-something years ago now. Wow. All right. Yeah, Jason was just running around in diapers still. He would have been 10 years old. So yeah. Around. Yeah, still in diapers, probably. <laughs> yeah, they they did a study in Oregon. It, it was probably I don't know if it was that far south. Um, I were clicking this pin. I listened to that last podcast. I was clicking the pin too much. Um, and uh, they it was I don't know if it was this a study you were on or not, but they were studying forty uh, percent were three point or better. And I don't remember exactly, but was that part of your study? Um, no, we did our, ours was a mortality study that did do, we had to get a sample of every, uh, segment of the population. So we had to have a yearling buck, a yearling doe, and then an adult doe and an adult buck from each unit that we had gridded out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, we had to basically, um, follow them and, you know, hunters, there was actually a pretty high mortality. Hunters shot some of them, mountain lions killed some of them, cars killed some of them. yeah, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, the study I was thinking of was, it was, because you don't see a lot of big bucks, at least up yeah. where, where I'm from, you know, like, they're out there, though. And it, the study that was like 40% were three-pointer better, but they were almost mm-hmm. strictly nocturnal, like, yeah, due yeah. to, you know, so that was yeah, just I really interesting. The, uh, I saw some tremendous bucks. Uh, you know, I wasn't real familiar with the blacktails until I was there, mm-hmm. and, uh I did see some, I mean, they were big by anybody's standards, you know, yeah. uh, really. There's some studs down here. I mean, that's some big buck country. I mean, you'll see 130, 140 inch blacktail. Yep. That'll yeah. blow the further your south, the further south you go, the bigger the blacktail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They actually did some trapping in that study uh, on the winter range, which is actually in Northern California. So that was kind of a yep. interesting. Hmm. Deal. is that the only study you did in oregon or were you messing with bears at all yeah that was that was it i i did a little tracking of some lions they had collared and some uh some elk and stuff but uh basically just the black tail that was um you know a year's worth of working on them. what'd you think of the country 
it was, you know, it was pretty neat. Um, the only thing that kind of threw me for a loop was, uh, you know, the last raindrop I saw down there was, I think, May 2nd. And, uh, <laughs> you know, by the end of July, the whole place was on fire. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, you couldn't drive on certain roads if there was grass. I, I wasn't used to that. Uh, that was unusual to me. But, uh, you know, and, and the fact that a lot of animals migrated through there, um, you know, and I got to know some of the Forest Service folks that were in the spotted owl stuff. So I got to go and see some of them. And it did kind of crack me up the whole that whole deal. Uh, <laughs> you know, they were practically pets. Uh, put a mouse on your hand and they'd come right down and land on. <laughs> man, you're touching on some. That's still touchy in Oregon, <laughs> man. Touchy, man. You spotted owl. We're getting. You're getting cussed at right now. Yeah. Well, the funniest thing was, is they were actually, even back then, they knew that uh, they didn't have to have old growth forest. Uh, they were actually finding them in different places. And I'm probably giving out information I probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, I, I was up there, uh, not that far south, but uh, they were logging on some national forest up this last year, I think. And they were helicopter logging. And, you know, we, so I pulled up there and I was, I was BSing with the crew was, you know, it was a helicopter coming in and, uh, really cool. But he was like, yeah, I thought we got to actually, it's getting too thick for the owls to fly through the timber because they're not cutting any timber now. <laughs> so now they got to go log for the owls. So it was like, used to not log, you know, cause it would hurt the owls. And now they found out they don't got to, they can't fly through the forest. So they got to thin them out. It's kind of a similar ordeal with our links here in the Northeast. Uh, you know, the heavy logging basically, uh, created all the lynx habitat in the regrowth because you're creating rabbit habitat with all the spruce and fir thickets and uh you know now all of a sudden they're trying to change all sorts of stuff and the the lynx have been growing just about out of control out here so they shouldn't really change anything yeah yeah like it's like you're just trying to micromanage and they just go too far extreme one they circumnavigate anything well that's interesting i didn't i i uh i may have heard that you came out to Oregon. I know, I know I heard, I remember uh, Alaska, but so you've kind of, you know, made it around. So what, so when you were in school, were you, was it really starting to, to hippify or I don't even know what the word, right word is, but I mean, coming out of biology, Uh, there's just so much on the left that we see going in there. You know, I was on sort of the tail end of what I call and I might get uh, brutalized for this, but the the real biologist. Are, are you still a, a biologist, or no? I okay, don't. So do... at least you can talk a little. You know, you, you gotta watch. Yeah. You gotta have somebody come in and lose your job over this interview. No, okay. no. Uh, when I was there, um, there was a trend starting of a lot of these uh, folks that just didn't have any practical, real experience in the woods. They weren't hunters. Uh, and that's gotten worse and worse, you know, so it, it start. I saw the start of the change of that. Well, for instance, so in Oregon, my boss, we became pretty good friends. And uh, he told me, he said, out of 150 applicants, he said, I was the only applicant that had actual trapping experience other than one person, one girl put, uh, she had trapped mice. Uh, <laughs> snap so, trap. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just that's kind of been a trend you know and right now even the the game wardens are the same way the biologists uh, very few have actual real world experience in the woods um and it's it's kind of an alarming trend to me it's it's unfortunate really yeah yeah were you working with vargas when you were down here or was that before 
I had John Tebis and uh, uh, Wolfer. What was uh, Herb? Uh, Herb Wolfer? Yeah, I think uh, it's Herb. Yeah, I think it was Herb. Uh, they were my bosses, direct bosses at the time. Right on. And so when did you graduate your, your college there? Oh, it's been so long, I forgot that too. <laughs> this is going to be a slow interview. You gonna remember <laughs> I, you know, I'm getting old like my kid told <laughs> Um, no, I think it was around, um, let's see, would have been around 95, I think. Okay. Somewhere right there. Cool. And so now, um, so you worked how many years as a biologist around? Oh, you know, I did it kind of on and off. A lot of seasonal stuff out there. It was always a real hard gig to break into full time. So, um, you know, I probably bopped around for about 10 years. And what made you stop? I mean, just get... Um, you know really the politics of it really started everywhere I went. So we only had one guy in the whole building and, and he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was terrible. And um, I mean, I saw it in Alaska with the, uh, you know, you, they had to go through resident hire and then these veteran preference points. I mean, um, I saw guys that had jobs that just had no business. I mean, you were, you know, like in Alaska, I was 500 miles from the nearest Eskimos. And um, we were way up in there. And, you know, if somebody screwed up, you were in trouble. There was nobody to bail you out. Yeah. And working with, you know, I was working with a guy, real nice guy, but he um, he didn't have any business being there as far as doing wildlife work. So I don't know, the politics of it. And then when I was in Oregon, I had a great, um, a young boss who, he was one of those guys who could fix anything. Uh, didn't need 10 different people to to help, you know, do a job. He could do everything. And they ended up replacing him with a guy and told him, told him that the other guy was more qualified. He had to retrain him. That really bothered me because the guy was fantastic, you know, just should have had that job and should have got it full time. And he didn't. So that stuff just started eating at me more and more. And the older I get, you know, I become the grumpy old man and I'm not as good as eating crow. So I, I kind of tell it the way it is. And I figured my uh, longevity wouldn't, wouldn't make it too far. Yeah. No, I can appreciate that. You can hear that. <laughs> um, you know, another part of that too, like my wife did the same thing. We met in college and, uh, you know, I worked in Oregon. She worked in Alaska. I think she was there three years. I was in Alaska. She was in South Carolina. You know, we could never get the same jobs in the same place. So we were, we were all over the place. So that, that wears on you after a while too. Oh, yeah, man. what did you uh so did you just leave, live out of a trailer? You're in a house or I mean what No, you you pretty much just move around. Most of the most of the positions I had would come with um some sort of housing, you know, okay. so you were you're pretty much homeless kind of. Vagabond. Like I see a couple of places where you see these communities up in the national forest, those houses and stuff that they basically let you live there or whatever they have houses in different spots. Yeah, you know, there might be, you might be in forest service housing. I was up in Alaska. I was on the Fairbanks on the army base housing for a while. Um, you know, they just, it all depended on where you were. Um, a lot of state agencies have basic housing at some of the hatcheries and stuff. So, you know, it, it just depended on where you were at. Sometimes we'd get a place and rent a place. Um, you know, it just all depended on what we had going. Yeah, I drive by that one of them communities all the time and... And I'm like, God, I wish I could just figure out how to get one of those. I houses. just want one cabin. <laughs> I just want one little <laughs> shack in the back where I can just, I mean, because I'd be right there in the National Forest and I could just go hunt from there. But Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. It was like when I was in Oregon, you know, I had a lot of the keys to the gate closures mm -hmm. and, uh, I was the guy, you know, I'd pull up and there's 10 cars parked there and I'd unlock the gate, lock it behind me and drive in past all these hikers and stuff. <laughs> had to hike 10 miles in there. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't sent that key back for, um, for <laughs> what, what do they say? Uh, I'm totally botching it right here. Good one, Jason. Woo, yeah, you swung. That's what I'm doing. A swing and a miss. A swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. I'm just saying, if we need to dispose of it, I can make sure to get it over to the yeah, authorities for you. They, they took that back. <laughs> yeah. They don't like giving those keys out. No, it was, um, even with me, I mean, geez, that thing was, you'd have thought you had a sack full of diamonds. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they'd ask you 10 times a day, where's that key? You got that key? Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably lose it on, on for real. I'd be like, no, really, I really lost it. I lost my truck keys. I lost my wallet. I lost a gun out there, and I lost that key. It's a, yeah. a bad deal. I've lost a lot of stuff in the woods. Um, <laughs> so when did you get – tell us about your dogs, like as far as was it before, after? I mean, obviously. You know, growing up, I was kind of um, kind of lucky. You know, when you're a kid, you don't even realize it. You know, uh, I grew up with um, – a couple of neighbors, we had plot hounds. I mean, we, we hunted everything you could legally hunt with a dog and probably a few things you didn't, we hunted. And, uh, we had rabbit dogs and, you know, we weren't supposed to run deer, but we had a few of them that ran deer sometimes. Uh, not that we were trying to bird dogs, you name it, you know, we had it. And, uh, we always had plot dogs, plots, plot hounds. Right. And, um, you know, uh, we had a very well-known neighbor um and actually uh is a kid leroy hogg i didn't even know who he was back then but leroy hogg's pretty famous breeder he's uh i believe he's in his 90s now um ferdinand indiana had the swampland plots and he would come out every year and hunt with us and of course i was i was probably nine ten i got to stay home and take care of all the dogs and do all the chores with the animals because we were you know kind of small family farm and stuff and uh I didn't really get to go hunting all the time with them, but they, Leroy would pay me to skin bears sometimes when he came back, which was kind of neat. And, um, but yeah, I, you know, I'd see him, you know, in the fall and, uh, I just kind of knew him as the, the older guy that was tough as nails, walked with a limp and a cane and everybody told me he was a great hunter. Um, uh, right. so, you know, we were always around dogs, but you know, through Massachusetts, I grew up in Western Massachusetts, right up in the corner near Vermont, New York. And, um, it's when I, I started getting a little later into high school thinking about college, they actually, we lost our bear hunt there, same as, you know, a lot of folks have. Mm -hmm. In the blink of an eye, it was gone. There was no more hound hunting. And uh, so everybody sort of either moved away or sold their hounds, um, you know, knew they were going to be outlaws if they kept them. So most everybody kind of got out of it. And I was getting into college and kind of too busy. I couldn't have hounds really when I was traveling around like that. So, yeah, I, I just sort of went through my college phase and my wildlife stage, and, and then I got to a point where I got settled a little bit, and, uh, you know, a friend of mine um, I met through some wildlife work uh, invited me to go along bear hunting again, and it'd been years since I'd been hound hunting, and, oh, it sucked me right back in. The next thing you know, I had a yard full of dogs and, and uh, was kind of getting back at it. They multiply oh, yeah. fast, huh? It does. It happens real fast. Way too fast. It's like, oh, yeah, just one. I had to actually employ some new tricks with my wife. You know, I figured out a while ago if I just built more dog houses, she wouldn't be able to count them because she <laughs> yeah. didn't realize it. So I just built an extra dog house and 
slip one in here or there. And then one day it'd be six months later. She says, there are more dogs out there. And uh, I could kind of get away with it for a while. <laughs> Tricks of the trade, right? Yeah. And you had to build them with old weathered wood. So they didn't, didn't look, look brand new. new. Yeah. They yeah, stick yeah. out like a sore thumb. Yeah. yeah. Cause brand new when the dead stick out, but you, you build them to look old. Chew, yeah, you know, get yeah. a little chewed on a little bit on the door, take a, <laughs> a rasp and make it look like the dog chewed on the door a little right. bit. You know, we're into this marriage thing over 20 years now. I've beat her into submission, so it doesn't even matter. <laughs> I know the last dog I drug home, my wife didn't even say anything. Like, we knew we had made it right then. She says, you're going to do what you're going to do, so. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it is now. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's it with the dogs. So what do you do to make money now? You tax Jeremy? Yeah, I do, um, you know, full-time taxidermy, and I guide. Uh, I mostly guide here just the way our lease system is. In order to, to run dogs here, you pretty much got to be a guide. Okay. Um, you know, it, so it kind of, you know, in my book, it sort of forced me into it. Because you're very limited if, if you don't have a big lease, and, and it costs, you know, a fair bit of money to get the lease and buy the bait and everything else. Uh, and it's hard to even get the leases. You yeah. pretty much got to buy out an existing guide. So, yeah, I just, I kind of got my guides license and I, I mostly run for outfitters and, you know, there's several that I work with and through my taxidermy business, I have a lot of guys, you know, they know I bear hunt and, uh, you know, I've always been known as a pretty honest person. So they'll come to me and ask, Hey, where can I go get a good bear hunt? So I'll, I'll kind of book them through some of these different outfitters and then I get to hunt there as well. And, job security i get take them on a bear hunt and i get to mount their bear yeah, you got a butcher shop out back too i mean you could have full meal deal oh i do that right pretty much it's a whole experience just yeah, start yeah. Finish, you're out there telling about the biology of it and then the hunt. yeah it's like a carnival cruise yeah <laughs> as long as it's not the one where covid hits yeah right <laughs> get locked on a boat my buddy was uh they had a cruise scheduled right in the beginning and uh they got canceled. They never went. But I'm like, the hell if I was going to go sit on a boat. And I wasn't worried about the the COVID stuff. I was worried about them locking me let into you a damn eight by shore. eight room for, you know, 14 days with my wife. I was like, there's no way I'm going to survive coming out of that. I mean, that's not COVID that I'm worried about. It's, he I'm doesn't gonna mean that bad. how it sounds, Laura. No, I mean it. Two <laughs> <laughs> locker in an eight by eight room. And you don't take her out to exercise her, I will die. One of you is coming out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not going to be a good deal. So I was like, there's no way. Did you do the taxidermy later on then? Like you got through all your biology stuff or did you always kind of mess with it? Yeah, you know, so the story of my whole life is I'm pretty much always poor. And uh, if I want to do something, I have to figure out how to do it myself. Yeah. I just kind of dive in with both feet and, uh, and figure it out. So when I was eight years old, uh, you know, uh, grew up in a hunting family and, and, uh, loved going to, to the taxidermist. And I wanted to I think I had a pet duck. I'd caught wild a, on the river. A pet duck. Pet duck. Okay. And, uh, of course the pet duck died. And, uh, <laughs> they all do. They all die. Every <laughs> one of them. I can't keep a pet duck. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I was eight years old, I mounted my first critter. And, uh, <laughs> it was a duck. <laughs> it was a duck. And, uh, <laughs> was it your pet duck? I, it was my pet duck. Okay. All I could say was it was a lot of really messed up looking critters for several <laughs> years. But uh, yeah, you know, and when I was 16, I kind of, uh, I got into it a little more serious. I realized my stuff sort of looked like a bad cartoon and, uh, and I wanted it to look a little better. So 
started going to taxidermy competitions when I got my driver's license and, and sort of realized the artwork of it, and what you could really do. So then I, I always stayed with it, um, uh, you know, as a business, you know, when I was in high school, that's kind of what I did most of the time. And, you know, my mom was a bartender and it actually had, uh, half the liquor room was my taxidermy shop. So it was a popular place for the guys to hang out. You ever sit at a party or, you know, get together with one of your, your old friends that you did a favor for way back in the beginning. And you're looking at the wall, just like embarrassed, like keep your head down. Oh, I had this uh, good friend I grew up with. So he had like the first year I ever did it. He had a deer head the second year, third year, fourth year. He had like six years of deer head and, <laughs> and he kept them. And, and he, he always, you know, he liked to look at the progress of it. I just would cringe when I'd look at the first couple. Oh, it was awful. It was terrible. Do they get better when you get drunk. <laughs> the more beers you have, it's like a you know at a bar. You know, is it, does the bow get a little better? Yeah, you can't tell the eyes are crooked, and you know the ears are backwards. And oh, it's easy to sell taxidermy at a liquor store, right? <laughs> oh, it, it helps a lot. Helps. Yeah, that's awesome. That is yeah. funny. No, I, there's a lot. Like, um, I look at cats a lot. You know, cats are so difficult to do. Yeah, and there's so many people that think they do pretty good on them and and there's a lot of nice people out there that don't tell them <laughs> yeah like, oh, yeah okay good job it's like that sucks <laughs> but uh yeah gotta start does. somewhere you know what i mean like right. the other the flip right. side the cats are so hard you know having a real knowledge uh even today uh with taxidermists you know i've actually as of this year i've been doing taxidermy for 40 years and uh you know there's guys that have been doing it for 40 years <laughs> They're no better than they were 40 years ago. <laughs> there's guys uh, that are hunting dogs that are that same way, probably. Oh, it's awful, you know, and and you, nobody has the heart to really tell them they, they suck, but they just keep on plugging along. And, uh, you know, but this is the thing I tell customers ask me, you know, they've had stuff done by other guys and like, well, what do you think? And I said, it doesn't matter what I think. I said, are you happy with the mountain? Right. If they say yes, right. that's all that matters. Yeah. Don't ask anybody, you know, if you like it, that's good. Well, and I'm sure you've got good insight, you know, being a biologist too. I mean, like cats are so hard to find a good cat mount because they're so unique, you know, guys that spend a lot of time with the game or, you know, like up close and personal. I'll bet that was a big help, wasn't it? Oh, for sure. And, you know, I've always um, had a real interest in anatomy and stuff and, uh, a lot of the taxidermists out there today, like there's so many deer head mannequins on the market. They can mount a great looking deer. And, uh, you know, but when it comes to life-size stuff and, and cats and any of it, uh, there's so many alterations and, and adjustments that you have to make because the stock forms on that life-size stuff, they're real limited. You know, they don't fit properly. And a lot of guys don't even know how to begin to change that stuff. Uh, so having that that knowledge of anatomy and and I've always enjoyed sculpting and stuff. So, you know, I've actually made my own forms, cast my own forms. Uh, it, it really helps you out in that department a lot. Yeah. What, what's your, your favorite animal to mount? You know, um, I, I like them all. Um, duck? You know, is it your, your first? <laughs> yeah. No. You hold that special spot for that first duck? No, I, I'm not even sure where he ended up. Thank goodness. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I like the bobcat hunt. And, uh, I always like a real... Like I can really appreciate a really good bobcat mount when I see a taxidermist that really knows how to do them. I, you know, I've always liked really doing a real nice cat mount. Um, 
Yeah. You know, and sometimes those great big bucks are always fun too. Big moose. Uh, it, it all depends. Yeah. You get I've a lot a, of moose up there? Oh, tons of moose up here. Yeah. I've got a. There, the older I get, I don't enjoy them quite as much. Just, you know, you start getting the 60 plus inch racks and they're just so big and hard to, to work on that it uh, sort of abuses you as you get older. How do you mount? I mean, that's got to be like, how do you mount a big old head? Like, is it on screws? I mean, what? Uh, you got to use thick screws? Yeah, or? so. You know, basically, there's a urethane foam mold that's in them. So the mold itself is not heavy. Um, you know, and then uh, there's a wooden block molded into the top of the head. So, you know, when an average guy cuts off a set of antlers, they sort of cut down between the eyes and the antlers and then out to the back of the skull. So that's how you attach it to the mount. Uh, you screw it right into that plywood block. And, you know, the skin is separate. You know, basically it's cut up the back so that you can work it around the antlers and remove it. Uh, so I got a question. I got, I got a, I, I'm going to offend some, somebody, maybe not. On a mount, uh, they're like a styrofoam, right? Because when you, when you pick one up, like my wife's cougar yeah. was just like, yeah. oh, I mean, it's light. You know what I mean? It doesn't weigh much, yeah. And uh, I may or may not have had a bobcat done recently by somebody who's, who's, newer and so i wanted to give them the opportunity to to practice yeah and it it felt like i want to say like a pinata but the, you know what i mean like i could hear a crinkle around the the skin like yeah is that normal i mean i'm the only only one i got to compare it is i have a bear and a, and a cougar and right. they i mean when you feel those it's firm i mean it's like you could it's almost like i would imagine it's a styrofoam right so i would gather the crinkle part of it is you know, he probably didn't prepare the form correctly. Basically, you have to prep the surface of the foam. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and it's not a styrofoam. It's a urethane foam. So it's a denser foam than, than that white bead styrofoam. Okay. So it's, you know, it's a pretty dense foam. And um, you have to prepare the surface because when it's molded, you have to coat the inside of the rigid mold with a release agent. And then you pour the liquid foam in there, which expands. And that's how you get a, you know, a finished mold out of it. Oh. So uh, if you don't prepare the surface of that and you don't use the right glue, then the skin doesn't stick to it. Okay. And he's like a wire brush. Yeah. If it doesn't fit correctly and there's extra skin, then you'll really hear some crinkling. So I'm hearing the, the, the skin crinkle. I believe that's probably what okay. you're hearing because it's not adhered to the, the mannequin itself properly. Yeah. I can't tell when it's on the wall. You can't tell, but just holding it and handling right. it. I was like, this is what I was expecting. Number one, the rock. I was like, are you using real rocks? Damn, this thing's heavier than my, my cougar mouth. <laughs> it looks <laughs> heavy. I was sweating. I'm like trying to put it up there, you know, in, in, in the, on the wall. I mean, I was like, holy hell, this thing's, it looks good. good workout, here. but, uh, yeah. And you know, that also, translates a little bit into the longevity of the mount because if the skin is properly adhered and, and glued to the mannequin so that there's no movement mm -hmm. uh time you know you're you're a lot better off because time you know expansion contraction if it's not glued properly eventually the skin will crack and you'll see a lot of old deer heads where the nose and eyes crack and yep. sort of open up you know that stuff happens because the skin wasn't really glued or properly adhered to the mannequin. That's interesting. Uh, like I said, I, and, and I, I knew going into this, I mean, he, he cut me a smoking deal. You know what I mean? Like I honestly, I probably paid for materials. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm not expecting this kid to, to do a, 
a Phil Susie, you know, my, compared to <laughs> Phil Susie's Cougar, you know what I mean? Like that's not a fair expectation, you know, put anything close. So I'm not, I'm not beating this kid up. I'm not anything about it. I, I, I strictly had a cat that I was like, you know, I'm not going to have this thing mounted, but I, you know, I could. And, and so I, I pretty much paid for some materials and let him practice. And he did a good yep. job. I mean, considering how far he's came, because this is the same kid that did the tanning and stuff a while ago, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So and he's so, and he's young. Yeah, really young. Doing like, really good. Like, I don't know if he's still in high school or not, but but it's kind of so. like you're talking about. <laughs> what's your first duck look like? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> gotta start somewhere. So, but bad taxidermy is one of the greatest things on the face of the planet in my eyes. Like, I love seeing old taxidermy <laughs> where like lips are curling off of it. <laughs> Oh, people have given me books of, uh, there's this one book, it's Bad Taxidermy from Around the World, and I mean, if you have any sense of humor, you will, your pain. Oh, they're great. I brought one home, I went to a yard sale with Danny, this is before we were married, and we were in her car, and I found this crappy old fork and horn taxidermy, and he had his little hooves up so he could hold a gun, you know, like a gun rack, and I said, man, I really want to get that. And the answer was, you are not putting that in my car. So I proceeded to load it in the car after the guy sold it to me for like five bucks on principle. Right. Well, we got home. I left it in the car, came out later that night to go get it. And it was filled with like termites or ants or something nasty. And the whole inside of her new Ford 500 was like bug ridden. (laughs) And I still haven't lived that one down. (laughs) Where's the mount? Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it actually got nailed up above the horseshoe pit outside, so it lasted another three years. His name was Bucky, and we used to Bucky. hang the horseshoes on his hooves. It was I was cool. coming back from picking them books up, and uh, James texted me a picture of a mount he, he found. He's like, I just had to buy it. And he's like, it's a horrible, horrible lion mount. And he's like, this yeah. thing, I could probably sell it to some dive bar somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> right. Put it up in the dive bar, but he's like, I just had to have it, man. It was so they're cool. Oh, <laughs> they're collectors now, Mark. Yeah, for sure. Early, early work of the great artist Mark Dufresne. So when when you go to a competition, do they have like the 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 funny category? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you pull up to the big competition, do they have like the hey the joke category? Where else? The jack or these or are these mounts like legitimately tried to be good? You know, I mean, you see some of them. Yeah, you're like, they're, man. it's pretty legitimately. Uh, pretty serious competition i mean it's uh you know they're they're looking at inside nostrils with microscopes practically and uh i mean you gotta really you gotta really know what you're doing nowadays to compete um it's it's pretty advanced yeah Hmm. that's cool um and then so your your dogs when did you get back into them and and how yeah so you know i when i got back into dogs you know um the plot hounds, everybody that I had grown up with, those plot hounds were all gone, disappeared, you know, really, really didn't know where to start. So, you know, I just, oh, like everybody, you know, you just try this dog, that dog, you end up with 50 rejects and, and uh, you just kind of keep picking away. And I just keep remembering saying to myself, man, you know, I, I remember those dogs and, and they were the real deal. And, uh, you know, these dogs that Kip Sprague owned, um, they were swampland bred plots. And, uh, I mean, they were tremendous. He hunted all over the country, uh, Canada, he hunted everywhere. And, uh, they just caught game every time you put them down. So, you know, you go through that phase of, you know, why can't I do this? Why am I chasing moose and deer and, you know, running away from bears? And, um, 
I just kind of kept thinking in my mind, I, I had to figure out how to get back to the plots and, uh, and get the right ones. And, you know, just trial and error and, and working at it. I finally got, I got a good one. And, uh, and all of a sudden the tides turned and, you know, started killing whatever bear I wanted. And then I got another one same, you know, related to it. And, uh, you know, basically, well, you know, Joe Hudson, um, you know, real heavy in Joe Hudson's breeding, the shamrock dogs. And, uh, you know, started to, as I wanted to, to get more of them, you know, basically you really got to become a student of it to understand, you know, why are these dogs so much better than this other 50 dogs I went through and, uh, the line breeding and the family breeding and the inbreeding. And, you know, you have to learn how to produce that and, and what dogs, what ancestors, um, you know, and, and of course with the biology background I had, uh, you know, I kind of understood breeding and, and also growing up on farms and whatnot. So it, it kind of fascinated me. And I, I, I really, the first goal I had was to, I wanted a dog that I could kill big bears with the big mean bears. And I got that. And then from there I so, wanted more. So, dogs. So, so what, what was the difference in the dog when, when you didn't, what what's how what solved that problem? What was it about the dog? Sure. Um basically um you know it, it's a whole host of traits, but you know, absolute great nose, great intelligence, um, you know, stamina and the ability to not need another dog around. Um, uh, you know, the the one dog that's not looking over its shoulder for its buddies, but it's it's running to catch, I guess you know, you'd say and and a toughness once they got there on those bad bears. Um, you know, here in Maine, uh, you know, I listened to Paul Laney's podcast and, uh, Paul nailed it as far as, you know, our bears here, they stay on the ground. Uh, the majority of them, you know, I've had years where I treed one bear and, and killed 25 of them on the ground. Thickness of the habitat and the spruce and fur thickets, a, a dog has to work a bear close and tight and, you know, it can't see that bear five feet away at times. So it's, it's got to stay in there and, and it's got to be intelligent enough not to get caught. But, uh, you, you know, I finally got that dog, uh, Bryn, who was very heavy in, in Joe Hudson's breeding and Steve Hurd's Bluff Creek breeding. And, and she was doing it for me. Uh, you know, you talk about the heart of a dog. I guess what, when I first noticed, I knew what I had, I should say, was, uh, she was just, uh, I think she had just turned two years old and I was hunting some corn and, uh, she'd really been doing good that year. And she went out and, uh, you know, we were hunting, the the backside of these corn pieces were a big mountain and it, no roads all on foot. And she got up on a big bear there and this was in the kill season. And, uh, we couldn't get into her. I tried all day and, you know, I was pretty close to her there at about four thirty, and, and I heard her get caught in, uh, the bear roughed her up pretty bad and she didn't bark, didn't move. And I, I got up in there and, and, uh, sat with her for a little while. She was pretty, pretty banged up. And, uh, finally she got up and she teetered off the mountain and got her home and, you know, couldn't really walk around much and doctored on her quite a bit. And, uh, three, I think it was actually, it was five days later. Um, I decided to go hunting with some young dogs and she was in the house. And uh, now keep in mind, she'd hardly even walk. You know, I had to almost carry her out, you know, to go to the bathroom and whatnot. I let her stay in the house with me. And um, anyway, I left the door open and I forgot something. I ran in the house. I turned around to get into the truck and there she sat on the seat. And uh, 
I said, come on, you know, you, you, you're not in any shape to go hunting. And you talk about an intelligent dog. That dog wouldn't even look me in the eye. You know, she looked out <laughs> the passenger window. And I went over to the passenger side to open the door, and she went over to the driver's side. Wouldn't even look at me. I said, all right, says, you can go. And I had no intention of turning her loose. Yeah. And uh, we got to the field, and this cornfield I walked into, and, and uh, she, she managed to climb over the top of me through 10 inch wide open window, hit the ground. And in 10 minutes, she had a bear bait. You know, we went and we killed it. And uh, I said, that's a dog with heart, you know? And I realized later how, how much she'd been damaged. It tore the muscles off her pelvis and, and she was running and catching bears. And the vet said, there's no sense in surgically reattaching it. He says, she's, she's still moving and the scar tissue from it would be worse. So I said, that's, that's the kind of dogs I remember. Uh, they just had a lot of heart, you know, and tough. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I went after, you know, and tried to breed more of and find more of. And I guess I kind of call it the, the old school plot, for lack of a better description. Uh, you know, the, the dogs of the old days, they, they were gritty. They were tough. They were smart. Um, you know, you, they got the job done on the really bad bears. And I, I, that always stuck in my head. And a lot of the dogs, even plots that I was trying, they'd gone the direction of coon breeding. And, you know, the first bear they'd meet on the ground, I mean, they were back under the truck laying there. Uh, didn't even ever get hurt. You know, half of them just, just quit when they saw a bear. If it ran and treed, it was great. So I knew I had to get away from that, you know, and, and, get into those what I call the old school plots um, they're not for everybody you know you get some injuries you get some some damage but is the more that I guided the more I found I kind of needed that style of dog because um, a lot of the hunters just nowadays they they're not very good at getting through the woods <laughs> and uh, you know a good bear hunter could kill these bears in 30 minutes um, and in, unfortunately, with a lot of these sports, you know, eight or nine hours later, you're killing these bears. So you have to have a dog that can just just stay in there and, and keep going no matter what. So that's kind of the, the reason I bred and, and started breeding the dogs and, and trying to, to make more of them that were like that. So do you use, so do you cat hunt? Do you guys have a cat season up there? Yeah, yeah, we got uh, we got a bobcat season. There's no training season, uh, but our bobcat season starts uh, December 1st, goes to uh, February um, 21st, I think it is. And uh, you know, our snow conditions the last few years are pretty horrid. You know, we're hunting on just ice and junk crust, and you know, out of an entire season like that, you get about maybe maybe a week, or maybe if you're lucky, two weeks of good running conditions, but um, you know, I, I got into the bobcat hunting through a, through a friend and, and I just kind of fell in love with it. it I don't like to guide it. Um, I want to just save it all for myself. I want to enjoy it. I want to keep it sort of pure. And so I just do it myself and, uh, and I have fun out there, uh, tough conditions and, you know, takes its totally different style dog than, than a lot of these bear dogs. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was leading to is she have different dogs for the cats versus bears. Yeah. And, and now my best dog, Bryn, that I told that story about, she became the best cat dog I've had. Um, she could do both. Okay. And, but, but as a rule, I keep my, my cat dogs and my bear dogs pretty separate. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm any great cat hunter. I, I love to bobcat hunt. Um, 
you know, right now I'm down on dogs, you know, catching cats here and there, but it's not, uh, you know, you guys want to go on a real cat hunt. You talk to Paul Laney, you know, he's the guy, but I have fun doing it. And, uh, you know, when it's just me out there and nobody's paying, I, you know, I can do what I want. And I, as long as I'm enjoying it, I'm happy. Yeah, with it. No, absolutely. That's kind of cool. I mean, you know, cause when you make, make your hobby, your job, I mean, I know all three of us can probably relate to a point. Like it's nice to have a little something that's, that you, you know, yeah. like to go do that cat hunting. And, and that's what that cat hunting is for me. That's like, that's my escape from the world. Um, you know, when you're out there and it's 20 below zero and, uh, you know, your beard and mustache are frozen together, there's nobody out what there. What are you I talking mean, about? I mean, I, as we're talking right now, I just got my email from ODF&W because they didn't, yeah. my pursuit, my hunting license for Oregon came in and I'm like, 70 and sunny tomorrow, I'm going cat hunting. Yeah, right. <laughs> we go pursue. We get some extreme cold uh, during bobcat season. You know, it's. Um, I can think of a number of hunts that were 15 to 20 below. You know, you're kind of almost stupid to go out there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if I've got a day off that I'm not working, uh, I'm going. And uh, good, bad, or indifferent. And, you know, I've had, I've had some of the wildest trips I've ever had have been out there you know, in the middle of nowhere all by myself and, and one dog and just enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of how I feel is, is like, man, I'm just going to go like whatever the conditions are. That's what I'll have to yep. hunt to. But um, yep. you can't wait for perfect everything. You just, sometimes you just got to say to hell with it and just go. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be a little, little too warm, but I'm going to go get I'm out early, get out there and early and just get my, my uh, heads up to Jason Everybody's going to be out in the morning. That's a disclaimer. I'm out. Exactly. Yeah, September through about end of February is a little rough. Crossing yeah. paths most of the time. We at least once a week we'll touch base. Yeah, on my way home sometimes. Yeah, on the road, get an inreach message yeah. or something. But that's what you know. That's what keeps you from burning out. And a lot of people, mm. you know, don't realize that. And I guess with the taxidermy, a lot of guys get burned out with taxidermy. And and I had been there you know, years back. And I figured out a long time ago how to sort of manage that. And, um, you got to make some time for yourself. And, and for me, I just, I just walk away and Hey, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. I'm sorry, but this is my, this is my time and I'm going. Yeah. So you, uh, are you a one man shop? Yeah. You know, I, over the years, I tried to get different people in here to help me and, um, they cause more damage than they help me. Yeah. You know, every, unfortunately everybody thinks they could start out at, uh, you know, I want to make $25 an hour and I laugh at them. I said, I've been doing it 40 years and there's days when I make $5 an hour. <laughs> now, if you figure out. There's days that I, I got to pay $5 to work here, man. Yeah. 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 You know how yeah. it is when you have a business. I mean, you, you wake up at one in the morning. Oh my gosh. With your note list. I forgot, you know, and writing stuff down and, so it, yeah, I just decided a long time ago to just keep it small, keep it manageable, just me. And, uh, and then I can kind of go and do what I want to do, but you know, I don't get paid vacations and all that. I just, uh, but I accept it, you know, you sacrifice for what you want to do and, and I sacrifice to go out there and hunt, but, uh, that's my choice. Yeah. See, I was that guy that screwed everything up. I, I apprenticed with a buddy of mine, Heath for a while and that taxidermy is, uh, I, I don't think I screwed anything up too bad, but I'll say I do not have 
the finger dexterity. <coughs> Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Heath, Heath will let you know. Just ask him. <laughs> I don't have the dexterity in my fingers to do that. I don't have the attention to detail. Like, that is true artistry, what you guys do. It, it does take, and, I, and I've tried to, I've had people pay to teach them over the years, and, and I've told a couple of them after two days. I looked at them, and I said, here's your money back. Go find another hobby because this one is not for you. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cruel, but some people got it and, and other people will never. Get I would it. agree. I will never have it. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to try it. I, you know, I, I was never until, like I said, like the cougar and I, I killed a bear, which I had mounted and I should have rugged it, but I, I, I did a shoulder mount. It was my first mount ever. Um, I was, I, I've never mounted a deer. And I'm going to try and get an elk mounted, but, um, I never was into it too much. You know, I was like, yeah, taxidermy never. And, and now I kind of just want, there's been just a couple. It's like, man, I can, I can totally appreciate it better than I right. could in the beginning, but right. I still don't want to do it myself. The ones that mean something. Yeah. 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 And I've got a few, like I've got a lion mount behind me here. I went out to Utah and with a buddy who took our dogs out and, um, you know, killed a real nice lion probably the only one i never care if i ever shoot another one but uh that was a fun that was a do-it-yourself 14 days we killed it on the 14th day on our last day and uh how many did you treat for that um two or two or three i think yeah that was a long time ago too (laughs) yeah yeah you go for good snow and and just hit the conditions yeah you know we kind of waited and i told it of course this gets you in the dog you know i told my wife all year i said this i wanted to do this my whole life when the snow comes i'm going so you know here comes november you know normally there's snow there's nothing you know nothing up high nothing anywhere and uh here comes December, no snow. Well, guess what? Three days before Christmas, it started snowing. <laughs> what does Mark do? He gets in the truck and he drives out the driveway. And I said, see you later. And uh, so, yeah, I spent Christmas out in the, in the doghouse in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just gone. That's, that's, a, just went, that's the best way to do home. it, though, man. It's home and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going. And it snowed and it snowed for five days and and man, when we got out there, we were in neck deep snow, but, but then the lions and the, the elk and the deer, everything started coming down lower into the valleys and the lions followed. And it, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Good hunt. Good time. Yeah. That's probably the best advice that if somebody wants to come out West to do it is make sure the snow's right, you know, because yeah. it is tough duty. It's not that you can't do it. There are guys that, that right. do it and can be consistent about it. Man, if you're not in your area and you don't know and yeah, old old tracks and conditions and there's just a ton of things that, man, guys look at their schedule and it's like sometimes you just need to open your schedule up and be ready to roll. Right. And yeah, it worked. It, you know, it worked good for us. We had fun and, uh, you know, great. I always kind of like the do-it-yourself trips. That's just kind of the person I am, you know. Yeah. And, oh, you make plenty of screw-ups and have a few disasters, but those are the things you remember, so you know, I'm not one to go pay somebody and, and do it. I want to kind of figure it out on my own and make my mistakes and see where it takes me. Oh yeah. Do you have any mistakes on that trip? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> any good ones? Yeah, Start good. from the top. <laughs> Nothing crazy really. Um, you know, just, uh, bumming snowmobiles off of buddies and trying to drive in places that they really shouldn't have gone. And, uh, you know, spending hours shoveling in this powder snow, like nothing I've ever seen. I, 
I spend about 20 minutes shoveling and got a hole around the sled and I stand up and then the whole hillside slides down and covers <laughs> it five feet deeper. And I thought, what, what in the hell kind of snow is this stuff? It's different out there, isn't it? It is different. I, I've never in my life seen snow like that. And uh, it was bizarre to me. You could walk on a hillside and the whole hillside would just start moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> our snow isn't like that here i mean it freezes up and sets up and uh it, it's nothing like that powdery stuff was so your sleds will stay up on top of it for the most part oh sure i mean now they, there's times you're down in it but yeah. usually there's layers there somewhere there's a crust layer and and so yeah you stay up on top pretty well uh, a lot of the times you'll step off a sled or something and you know you might go you know armpit deep in the side but you know, your sled stays right up on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. I had one, it was last year or two years ago. It had not snowed hardly at all. And then it just dumped. And I mean like three feet dumped and, uh, weirdest. You know, I was like, kind of, yeah, I was like, well, I'm going, I'm going hunting. And so I went up by myself and, and I got up this little skid road and I started unloading the truck and I was going up and man, I mean, the snow was coming around the snowmobile. Like, I just couldn't believe it. it was just like a little, all, the best I could describe it was like an avalanche going around my snowmobile as I'm going forward yeah. and yeah. I didn't start to bog down. And I'm, and I'm thinking so one time I turned around, I was like, I'm going home. I'm going to go get a buddy and tomorrow I'll come back up here. And, and so I got a buddy to cut me a trail in ahead of me. Cause I was, you know, yeah. And, and well, yeah, the dog trailer on, right. Yeah. It was either, you know, so I was either I go run and go back and get the dogs. Right. Right. You know, I just knew in my head, I'm like, I am going to screw myself. I'm going to get so far back in here. I couldn't hardly turn around. And so that was the one time that, that those conditions, and it's weird because you think about snow. That was the one time that I was like, that snow was just so different yeah. that it was like an avalanche in front of me and my machine was bogging down and everything was going wrong. And I'm just thinking, well, it's going to take me three days to get out of here. I might mm-hmm. as well turn around and work this four miles, four and a half miles back. And, yeah, and probably nothing moved anyways, and so I went back up the next day with a buddy, and he, I just ran him in front because he he had an open machine, and so I just like just sure. keep going, man, until you can feel comfortable stopping, and I'll just come in behind you, and, and sure we found a we found a track, but it was just like man, yeah, so going in a different area and in different conditions, like, like I can totally appreciate that you show up one day, it's like this is nothing like what I've ever yeah. dealt with before, and your mind's trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, it was. It was interesting, but a lot of fun. Well, yeah, the so snowmobiles are. Was your cat? I mean, what was the, what was the track like? Oh, this this is the funny part. So we were staying, actually, uh, my friend Jared. It was his uh, family. Uh, they lived up in uh, Salt Lake Valley, basically. In uh, Provo was where we were, and we so we kind of stayed at their house, and and then we just went out hunting, and uh, you know the whole week there's sort of this plateau from the bottom of the valley it goes up whatever i don't know five six hundred feet then there was this big plateau of oak brush and then the big mountains went up and uh of course all the mule deer were down in that that oak brush and and even down into the bottom of the valley where the houses were and and we kept saying all week we're like we need to just walk up there and uh so it was like the the second to last we're gonna leave the next day and, and jared and i got up at you know, like eight o'clock, we slept in a little bit. We were like, Please take one dog loose and we'll just go walk up on the valley, up, up into that oak brush. And we were walking up there and, you know, we're watching elk and, you know, the openness is awesome there. Like mm-hmm. we don't get to see stuff like that. So 
we're looking at these giant mule deer and elk and stuff and we're just having fun and the blue sky and the snow and looking at tracks and critters and all of a sudden we look at each other like hey there's an old lion track let's follow it right. and it was you know a couple day old melted a little bit on the south slope and uh we start following it and we're like hey that looks like a mule deer buried hey look at the lion running away <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden there we were and uh so you actually you know, seen they, the lion run off the... the... No, it jumped right out of its bed and run away. Oh, man. And it was bedded like 20 yards from the mule deer. And uh, so it, you know, it ran out on the edge of this cliff in this little juniper. And uh, we're just, you know, eye to eye. And uh, it's like, wow, this thing, this is crazy. And, you know, all of them, you know, of course, we never, I hadn't ever run lions at all. So I didn't know. But I noticed every time you treed one, they basically run down. And as soon as they start up, they treed. Yeah. So... I went running right to the bottom of this valley and there was a little hiking trail with a waterfall there that people were hiking up, you know, from town and, and, uh, well, he treed right above me. And so I'm looking at him up there in the bush and my friend Jared was right there looking at him eye to eye and, uh, jumped down and, and he come right down and it was just the neatest thing to watch. Uh, and then he treed in a, uh, Douglas fir beside that, just above that waterfall. And, uh, boy, I'm sitting there looking at him and I'm like, I don't have a lot of lion experience, but I can tell you a couple we saw this, this thing looks monstrous, yeah. you know? And, and I didn't even have my gun with me. Uh, Jared's wife had gone to town to get some pictures of some of the lions, you know, we treated it earlier in the week. And uh, luckily we got phone service called her up and said, Hey, uh, can you come up to such and such as parking lot and uh, reach under the passenger's seat? There's a pistol there and, uh, and come on up in here. <laughs> and Come for a hike. Come, come for a hike and see a waterfall, and we'll take a little detour. Yeah. And I, I think the the best part was after I shot the lion. Uh, you know, we're lugging it down the the trail that all these hikers are coming up. They had no idea there's even lions there. I mean, you know, it and it was a nice lion. Um, you know, I I've actually I appreciate it now a lot more than I even did then. Uh, it was 150 pounds, empty stomach. No, damn, uh, that's a nice lion. That's a big yeah, cow. And he was. Uh, when we tagged it in there, the the biologist came out and he said, uh, oh, you're the first ones to kill one in that unit. And he came around the truck and looked at it. And he's like, wow, he says, that, that's a dandy. And I, oh, I don't know. It looked pretty big to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they, but it was uh, they, they, a Boone and Crockett skull on it. You know, nice, nice line. That's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're really hard to judge, especially if you've never seen them before. Right, because every lion is kind of impressive when you first walk into it, you know. Yeah, um, even a, yeah. A, a smaller one, but then when you walk into a big one, it's like they just know they're the, the yeah. king of the mountain. They have a and that's why that's how this them. one struck me. Uh, you know, he just had a head like a basketball to me, and it was just different than the other, the other lion. Yeah. You know, it, it he's looked pissed one, off up there. I mean, is he just oh just. He was just going on and snarling and, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and the Douglas Furry was up higher, so it, that wasn't as impressive, but when he was, was right there, and we've got it on video, like when he jumped out of that little juniper and, you know, he jumps onto this little, I mean, it looked like it was a vertical cliff and he just lands, you know, whatever, 40 feet down there and hops and then he walks around dropping snow off of this ledge as he walks around it and jumps down and, it was just neat to see that big old tail, you know, for balance flopping around. Uh, pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're neat. Well, that's like on day 14, huh? That was the last day. Yeah, that, you'd, already, you'd already been defeated. You already felt the defeat coming. 
Yeah, you know, and the cool thing was is honestly, I went out there. I wanted to see a lion. Yeah. I didn't care if I shot one. Right. Um, and and we had one that was in a great, you know, little tiny juniper, you know, fifteen feet tall, climbed right up in there, got pictures, you know, with the thing spitting on the camera lens. That's what I really wanted. And uh and we got that. So, you know, harvesting one was was just sort of a like dessert, you know. I didn't really expect it. And like I said, I'd probably never kill another one. I'd love to go run them again, uh, but I don't need to to actually harvest one. The fun part, you know, was seeing them like I got to see them. Yeah. So was there a lot of cold trailing on the ones you caught prior to that one? I mean, that sounds like it was pretty hot. So-so. Uh, that one was, yeah, that was red hot. <laughs> uh, you know, the one Maybe we... hotter than that, guys. <laughs> yeah, right. You're going to walk yeah. a track out at the point where you're watching the tail flop around yeah. like yeah, probably should bring the dogs in yeah yeah oh well they were just loose with us so i mean we didn't even get to the dog saw it the same time we saw it. <laughs> <laughs> you know it was in the tree i think before we even realized there was a lion laying there well that's funny uh, but yeah you know the first the first one we treed was um i don't think it was a terrible far cold trail but of course dragging my fat butt up and down them canyons i thought it felt like it was 20 miles <laughs> But it just sort of trailed up over this, you know, out of one canyon, up over this ridge line, down into another canyon, and they, they jumped there and treed. But, you know, really, I mean, we just walked to a tree is what we did. We didn't get to, other than a little bit of cold trail, and you couldn't hear any of it. You know, it was out of here pretty fast. Yeah. You know, I, I was actually, I guess for me as a, you know, a bear hunter with these long races, it, it was kind of a letdown as far as the race went. I didn't expect that, you know, I, I thought there would be more for some reason. I don't know why, but it just did. And, you know, these bear races, I mean, you know, you get on these bay ups and they go on for six, seven, eight hours. And, you know, this was like, man, you jumped the cat and it's a tree. And uh, now they can obviously get into ledges and we didn't have to deal with that, but you obviously could, but it was a neat experience. I, I enjoyed it really did. Yeah. The hard part on the line for a, a lot of it is, before the jump you know if yeah they don't have as big of lungs and you know everybody's like oh lion it's like well like, after the jump that's that's the easy part you know figuring out the hard part is on the lion when you watch the you tail run, run off it's like man you poodle can catch them it's a duck deal <laughs> yeah you know and we had pretty you know had some decent bobcat dogs mm-hmm. with us so uh you know had hunted a lot of bobcats so for them it was that was pretty easy work uh you know on the lions um but again we didn't you know you get on one of those lions and i've learned so much more about them now you know they might walk 30 miles in a night and uh you know through burned out south space and slopes and north covered snows you know that i could see would be pretty neat to do yeah Um, we just never got into any of that experience we gotta go back yeah, yeah. And, Christmas you know, this point, year. When you yeah. do for Christmas, <laughs> I probably won't do the Christmas thing again. <laughs> you learned your lesson. I think I'm, you know, 21 years later, I'm still paying for that. <laughs> she still brings that one up once in a while, huh? Oh, I still hear it, man. It's the elephant in the room doesn't ever forget that. That sounds like it was worth it, though. I can't believe you were just going to skip over that story like it was nothing. Like, buddy <laughs> practically beats it out of you. <laughs> I've learned to not mention it because it brings up very large ghosts <laughs> right. out of the closet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it stings a little. Now you're going to pay for it again tonight. <laughs> you had dinner yet? 
she's not here right now and she won't listen to this because she hears me spew my <laughs> stories all the time. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm safe right now. That's perfect. I, Laura hasn't listened to a single podcast. I'm good. Like one day she's going to listen to them all and I'm going to get it all in one. She's going to be like, hey, on episode three, you said this. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be done. Uh, he comes in with a list. You just, exactly. You just, go, just better go lion hunt. Well, and this isn't your first, your first rodeo, right? You did the Houndsman XP podcast a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. We uh, made a note. It was episode 14. If anybody wants to hear more from Mark, check it out. Yeah, yeah. No, it was fun. I uh, probably we probably should have re-listened to that one so we didn't record the same podcast. Over yeah, right. <laughs> I haven't listened to that same one. Stories. Before. I don't know. No, we've gone a different uh, different direction here, so that's good. We're and, safe. Uh, well, and to preface this, like literally, we just got off the phone with Mark what like three hours ago because because Buddy and Mark <laughs> have been talking, and we were going to set this up. Well, we have free time today, so this was. I like, may or may not have let the team know that we talked, Mark. <laughs> it was just no, kind of like I was talking with not. Jason. He's like, because we're trying to get we gotta get uh, a couple other guys on, and so Jason calls me because you think we should? I think, oh yeah, check with Mark too. I was talking to him. I got him lined up. Jason's like, Mark, what? Who? What? <laughs> no, I'm like, <laughs> Sorry. who is this guy? Let me check it out, and then it all clicked. But yeah, this yeah. was this was spur of the moment. So we kind of figured it would be a little different. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it is. You know, I I hope somebody enjoys it, but I don't know if they will or not. Yeah, well, you <laughs> we can hope tell they train do. Train stories and jumping lines. <laughs> we might make a good podcast yet, Mark. Yeah, we might come around yet. Oh, um, what do you got for uh, any train wreck stories? We got to get a good. Oh man, uh, so I got a few good ones there. Um, I'll give you. I'll give you two of them, two different versions. One was uh, the true version. The truth, or the, yeah, the, the, the real want the truth. true version. They got two different versions. I want the Mark version and the true version. Let's hear that. Well, one. we'll we'll give the no name version. Um, so so this one, you know, when the hunters generally come in on Sunday, you know, I give them the big spiel of what they can expect, and um, you know, around dinner, or after dinner, whatever, and you tell them, you know, what the rules are and different scenarios they can expect and how to be ready for anything. And, and just the simple stuff like, Hey, we don't no drinking and hunting, you know, uh, here in Maine, you know, you can't have a loaded gun in the vehicle. So I always touch on that and, uh, you know, go through all of that. Ah, we're all good. So, well, we go hunting and, uh, you know, we guy was looking for a big bear and, uh, so we pretty selective, you know, we use cameras checking at the bait so we can really, you know, kind of looking for that 300 pounder and up. And, um, uh, I'd never hunted this guy. didn't know him. Uh, anyways, uh, so there was a helper one day at this guide outfit that went along with us. And, uh, I was down in, there was this one bait and it had a, a huge bear, you know, over 500, I'd say. And, uh, but he was coming in with about six other bears. So I'd been checking and checking and checking, trying to catch him for, you know, a couple of weeks where he was there by himself. And, um, I go down there and I get the camera chip out and I'm looking, oh, sure enough, there he is. And I was like, oh man. And I'm looking at these pictures, just drooling, you know, and it was like a 4 a.m. track and here it is, you know, just after daylight, seven o'clock. This is, this is going to be sweet. And, uh, all of a sudden I hear a gunshot and I was like, what in the world? And it sounded like a shotgun, which a bird season is open. So I thought that that young fella had shot a grouse. And so I come up and I'm madder than a horn. I'm like, what the hell are you doing shooting grouse? And walks by me and his face is as white as a ghost. And uh, I was like, oh, 
So what, what's going on? And uh, I get over to the truck and yeah, so he was uh, playing with the guy's rifle and uh, the rifle went off. Uh, evidently it was loaded. And it was one of these blazer rifles. I mean, you could fit your elephant gun, put your thumb in the bore. Well, it went through the floor, through the starter, and chopped off the transmission line. Oh. And uh, and here we are. I'm uh, that's about twenty miles from the gate. Did you have the dogs the, with you? The dogs were in the truck, <laughs> and I had not turned the dogs loose yet. Which was that part was good, I guess. If you could only take one good thing out of that day, it was the fact that I hadn't turned them right, loose yet. Didn't. But here I sat, you know, I was madder than a hornet. And I'm, I'm like, what, what do I even say to this? What do I do? And, uh, well, the first thing I said is I told that kid, I said, you get on your friggin' boots and you start walking. Because he had about a 20-mile hike to get to town to any communication. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he started walking. And uh, then I had a few words for the sport. And then I went for one of those walks that you guys mentioned. I went for about a three-mile walk. Yeah. And, uh, and I just had to sort of come back down to earth for a little while and, and look at the good point that I hadn't turned the dogs loose and cry about the fact that it was the bear I wanted all season and I wasn't going to get to put a dog on him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was a pretty good train wreck there. Um, <laughs> I think of the ways that could have turned out, you know, and – uh, pretty darn lucky it went the way it did i guess does you have a tow truck come up and get you or you what's that a tow truck drive up there and, and rescue you yeah no i made the kid he got a ride to town with a logger and he bought a starter and we uh and i told him i says you buy it didn't actually cut the transmission it was an automatic transmission didn't cut the line but it basically crimped it and put a little nick in it oh, okay and, uh, so i said you come back with about 10 gallons of uh transmission fluid and uh and he got a starter, and we put the starter on right out there in the woods, and uh, we started pouring the fluid to it, and I drove about 70 miles an hour until it would start to slip, and then I'd put some more fluid in it, and I'd drive again until it started to slip, and we made it about a half a mile from the gate when we run out of transmission fluid. Oh, man, just a, just a line of tranny fluid all the way. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I think your bear mean, was, spot has been marked. So, uh, yeah, made it out. That was uh, – that was a hairy one as far as, you know, the things that could have happened. And, uh, so who dropped that, it off at the mechanic shop? Because that was, well, see this, this, that's the funny part because it's a real tiny little community up there. And, uh, you know, the, the first thing that everybody looks at is, well, what's this thumb size hole through the floor? And, Oh, it looks like you got a new starter on there. And, mm -hmm. and what's this, uh, lead colored fragments around the transmission line. And, of course, nobody wanted to say anything, so oh, yeah. I was not the one that dropped it off at the mechanic. See, I've no. been that mechanic that somebody dropped off an old, it was an older Tacoma, and it had yeah. a 30-06 fire through the passenger floorboard, through the bell housing, broke the flywheel and the clutch. I mean, this guy had to have it, like he coasted it down the mountain. But trying to get a straight story out of what happened, yeah, yeah. that wasn't happening. It was comical, but yeah, I wanted to know what the real story was. Yeah, this, uh, you know, this one was, uh, yeah, that's the way it went. And I, I won't go into it any more than that to, to preserve the uh, integrity. <laughs> of the, the lawyers have told his lawyers, like, hey, could you just cut the story short? Right. Yeah. Oh. But uh, now that was, that was kind of a train wreck. And then, you know, as far as funny stories go, uh, last year I had a pretty funny hunt. Uh, 
I've always done the steel timber sports, lumberjack sports and stuff, traveled around the country and a friend of a friend. It's lumberjack competitions, man. Yeah. Uh, Log rolling. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wood chopping and, yeah. you know, socks on, two man. We got one of those here. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, through a friend of a friend, I had a uh, couple of guys from the Czech Republic who wanted to come on a bear hunt. And, uh, I said, yeah, I'll take them out. And, uh, so we set it all up and now they had a friend along that spoke very good English, but they didn't speak any English whatsoever. So I said, well, this, this is going to be interesting. And, uh, so our hunt starts and, uh, Sure enough, you know, first day we get on this slob of a bear. He's over 300 pounds and he's just walking and fighting with the dogs and pouring rain. I'm two miles deep in the middle of this bog and uh, I'd had this guy in at like six feet trying to shoot this bear and no communication. You know, I'm like, you know, pointing my fingers. How many times can I like demonstrate how to shoot, you know? And, pew, pew. and that was, yeah, pew, pew. Uh, we tried it all. I'm telling you. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, so then this bear goes up and, and he turns and he, he'd been walking his backtracks a lot and, uh, I get him in position and, uh, I'm thinking we'll never get a clean shot at this bear. And all of a sudden they step on this little hump of old growth hemlock that they, for some reason they didn't cut it. It looked like a park in there. It was only about a hundred yards long, 50 yards wide. And I'm like, the bear won't come up on this. All of a sudden I'm like, here comes the bear. I'm thinking this, this is a done deal. So I got them standing beside a tree and I'm, I'm peeking around the tree and here they come. The wind's right. You know, this thing walks up six feet from us and I'm like, shoot, pew, pew, you know, like, <laughs> it's trying it all. Pew, pew. I love so it. he's not, he's not shooting any, any. So now we start sort of jogging right beside the bear and the bears just sling his head over and he'd look at us and I'm, um, pointing the gun and I'm grabbing the gun and pointing it at the bear and never happened. So, you know, his, his buddy was in the truck with the other guy and, uh, and we get out and he's just ribbing him. I don't know what, what they were saying, but you could tell he was giving it to him. Why didn't you shoot? You know, oh. he was over here just about in tears. And, and, uh, so the next day comes and I said, well, we'll try again. So same guy again. And, uh, walking a bear is about a 200 pounder. He, missed the road crossing well he goes up on the hill comes right back and i was like oh this is perfect i said maybe we got the we got the jitters out on that one so i get them all lined up here watching the garmin i'm like oh he's gonna be right in front of us about 20 yards away bear jumps this flooded ditch on the side lands on the side of the road broadside looking at us and here i am pew pew shoot shoot anything <laughs> bang bang you know and he finally picks the gun up and it seemed like an eternity. I'm thinking this bear is going to run. This bear is going to run. You got to shoot. Yeah. Squeezes the trigger right when the bear turns and uh, runs right through all of the dogs, you know, turns into a cluster. So that didn't happen. So now his buddy is really giving him a hard time, really hard time. So I said, all right, I'm taking the other guy the next day. So here we go. We're on another bait up bear, a couple hundred pounds, and it's fighting the dogs. It's going on for three or four hours in the same swamp I was the first day. and. And all of a sudden, there's this grassy road. The alders usually are choked right out. You can't see anything. Well, this opened up about 50 yards long, 10 feet wide, just like you'd mowed it. Mm. And I look over, and I'm like, this doesn't get any better. Here comes the bear. Dogs are all right behind it, just walking. And I get them all. He sees the bear. He's all set. 
of course, these guys were using my rifles because they didn't want to, you know, fly. But I, I shot with them. I spent a whole day shooting with them with the gun. So they were familiar with them. Right. And uh, so this bear comes out. And, I mean, we're, we're a mile deep in there. This bear doesn't expect to see anybody. Steps into that grassy spot, not a blade of grass between us. And he just stands there broadside looking at us. And here I am again. Shoot, shoot, bang, bang. And this guy finally gets the rifle up. And then I look. And I'm like, why aren't you killing that bear? And he's squeezing and he's squeezing. So I'm like, oh, my God, he didn't take the safety. flip that little switch right there. So I'm yelling, safety, safety, safety. And, and I'm trying to reach over and push it. And he finally gets it off. Bear's walking straight away. I'm like, nope, no shot. Dogs got in the way. Uh, okay. Luckily, I cut a couple dogs in there, ran out to the road, and it treed right beside the road. And the other guy actually got in there and made a great shot when it was jumping out of the tree. And uh, so he got one bear. and. Uh, and then the last day, it all fell into the place the way it should be. A nice 400-pound bear walk in. And, and this time, I, I just I stayed in the truck with the guy. I didn't get anybody excited, you know. And, and he's like, what are we – you know, you could communicate a little bit. Yeah. Basically asking, what are we going to do? Yeah, you, said, my, my four days, you've gotten the, the shoot command. You've practiced yeah, that grunt, enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, grunts and points and whatever. you got to figure <laughs> he it out. He knows English so. for the word shoot. That's, what, that's the word yeah. you taught him in four days. He's like, I, I don't know much of else English, but I know shoot. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and you know, pouring rain again. And, and I said, well, we're just going to go for a little walk here. And I said, yeah, just bring the gun just in case. And, and I knew this, this was coming into the right place to kill it. And, uh, and we just walked up there four or 500 yards and there was these nice skid trails, strip cut. And I'm like, well, we'll go up this one to the right. And the whole time I'm like, this guy's walking right at us, you know? And, and last minute I see the bear and I just, I push him a little bit left-handed and, and bear steps right out 20 yards away, shoots him right in the side of the head, got himself 400 pounds. No kidding. Right. But uh, it was a whole week of anything that could go wrong went wrong. You earned it that week, huh? <laughs> oh man, and, and I'll tell you that was it, it was fun in the end and I can laugh about it, but the middle of that week I was not laughing. Oh bad. <laughs> That's why you don't want a friend like me around because I'll be laughing during it. I'll be like, Mark, it sucked for you. So yeah, it's you know, there's there's all sorts of goofy stories that can happen like that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. No, I, I can't imagine, like I said, guiding has no little desire for me because I'd probably be. Yeah. You wouldn't have any return clients. You wouldn't. If it was me, I wouldn't be laughing, but. You wouldn't have to worry. Boy, I can sure see the humor whenever I'm not in the situation. You know, you, you kind of, you get used to it, I guess, after a while. And, and it is every now and then you get a, a guy that knows he's not the sharpest hunter in the world, but he, he's really trying and, and he's enjoying it. Those are the fun guys, you know, because he, you know, he realizes, hey, he had a chance. He didn't get it. You know, it's not the end of the world if he goes home without one because he had his chance. But, right. you know, you get some fun ones like that. But then you get a lot of the guys that just they expect like super easy. I want to I want to be 400 to 450 pounds and I want to walk about 200 yards at the most. And uh, you'll have to carry my gun for me and bullet. And, Sign me up for that plan. Just put me on the yeah. bucks and <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the hard part with the guiding. And uh, you know, it uh, unfortunately here in Maine, you know, you kind of you kind of have to guide if you really want to hunt your dogs. And you know, with the breeding program that I've got and stuff, I you know, I got to hunt a lot to uh, kind of prove out these young dogs, see what they're made of. So 
I have to guide to do that. Yeah. Now, um, we should talk about this on Paul's episode, but I, Jason had to do a, a tail end on that cause we didn't really get into it, but how is your, your main, like you came up to Wisconsin when we all get gathered there yeah. Yeah. and, uh, with, with, with all the different states and stuff like that. And so we, you got that one defeated and you guys, you have the main guides association is pretty much yeah, the, the so, big one in Maine. Yeah. The, well, uh, that, that is an organization here in Maine, but there's also the, uh, sportsman's Alliance of Maine, which is actually a pretty, really good sized organization. Um, uh, and the sportsman's Alliance of Maine is actually, um, you know, that's who I, I really put a lot of faith in them. They're fighting for every, whether you're a fisherman, a trapper, a, you know, a bear hunter, they're really, they're really doing some good stuff, gun owners, everything in general. So, uh, you know, between the two organizations, they've done a lot of good stuff here. You know, the guides association, sportsman's Alliance of Maine have both, uh, had some good victories and, uh, you know, we're, we're looking pretty good right now, but you know, they're constantly coming after us. They're really attacking the coyote hunters in the Northeast right now. Um, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a bad spot for us. Um, you know, they're, and they're getting some leeway with it and, and they're starting to, uh, get a few victories. So, you know, you, you can't rest on your laurels and, and not worry about it. You, everybody needs to stay involved, uh, to some degree and join an organization. I don't care. I don't care what one it is. Join one and, and try to get active. You know, I'm the least politically motivated person in the world, but I came out there to Wisconsin to, you know, to try to help things out and, uh, yeah. gotten involved a little bit and just do what you can do. Yeah, no, it, it, it is definitely, uh, something we all have to do. You guys had, cause you weren't really well organized at the, yeah the last round, right? You guys, you guys fought it off and then they came back and. Yeah. So the first, the first round, I mean, we just, we just skinned by, you know, we made it. Um, the second round, we did get organized a little better, but it's still, I am so impressed with, uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and the organizations that those guys have and how they work together. It, I'm still trying to, to figure out how they do that and they work together so well. Um, so you know yeah, how they get that many hound guys together in a room and have more bites. Fight. I mean, that's the part uh, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know how this happened. You have this many people in a room. You know, here in uh, here in Maine, you know, the bait hunters versus the hound hunters. It's a it's a war. Yeah. And yeah, I'm telling you what, man, it, I pull my hair out at times trying to talk to these guys. And out there, they got everybody in the same room, all getting along. Yeah. What they're drinking beer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you're not just in the room, but they actually got beer in the room. Yeah, and I'm like, this is like math. I, it's a ticking time bomb. You damn. yeah, math doesn't add up like this. I mean, I'm, I took algebra. This is this this equals fights. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. And and they get along so good. It just it it baffles me. I I can't understand it. But they do a great job. And you know, hopefully, um, and obviously they've done a lot. They did a lot for Maine. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joe Hudson, the UP Bear Houndsman, you know, they wrote a $50,000 check that first referendum for us. That was, that was a big deal because that first time, I mean, we didn't have the fundraising in place. We did better at it the second time, but still, uh, you know, the problem is, is, you know, you're in a rural state here. There's not a lot of money. It's pretty hard times for a lot of people. And how many times are you going to be able to 
get them to give up their life savings to to bail out the bear hunters and you know eventually it's going to catch us yeah 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 staying organized and being on some of the issues is a lot cheaper than waiting and yeah and And, and both of those organizations have uh people watching the legislation now and and they're right there And, and that that's the difference you know they they can get stuff killed before it ever comes up to vote and make stuff disappear before the average people know about it. Yeah. Right. So the, those two different organizations, the Maine's guy, what, what is it? What's it? Maine Guides Association. Maine Guides Association and then Sportsman's Alliance. Sportsman's of, Alliance of Maine. Maine. They go by Sam. Is, yeah, Sam. Okay. Um, is that a is that a chapter of the Sportsman's Alliance or how's that? Nope. No, and that's kind of a – yeah, that's a funny – a funny, uh, you know, they changed their name, the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance. They're kind of changed their name, uh, you know, around that referendum time. So people get it confused, but they're they're a state organization. They have nothing to do, no affiliation with that. Okay. Um, it's it's for Maine sportsmen. They put out a, a newsletter monthly. Um, I really like them. I think I think they're really, you know, they're working hard and, and they're really watching stuff from. Uh, from gun rights to to trappers to hunters, I mean they're they're really they're they're doing a good job keeping in front of it as well as we can. But we just always need more people, yeah. more people to get involved. And to give credit to Sportsman's Alliance, they they were a big part of you guys' main initiative too back when you guys fought that last time. So yeah, um, yeah, the Guides uh, Association and the Sportsman's Alliance of Maine both yeah. uh, contributed a lot yeah and, and then sportsman's alliance u.s sportsman's alliance US sportsman's so, alliance so it was like everybody way. kind of came together but i i, I just yeah. wanted to find out the name confuses me yeah and, and so yep. not not knowing all the details i was just trying to make sure so if you're in right. maine or in my area make sure you're part of some of those groups because they need you and and everybody kind of needs us to, to stay yeah. engaged you know here in in new england uh you know, it's it's smaller than it is out west. You know, you take our neighbors, New Hampshire and Vermont, very small states. And uh, right now they both have hound hunting. Um, they're under attack real hard, too. Uh, New Hampshire has, a, you know, a wildlife federation. It's a little different process, but they're trying to get antis on the board and places that there shouldn't be antis. And, uh, you know, so, you know, if one of those neighboring states gets something past bear hunting wise for hounds it's gonna flood over onto us yeah. And, uh, yeah so we really you know we really need to stick together with everybody right so what's the rest of your season look like so we're september well yeah so right now we're uh the bait hunters are hunting right now they get two weeks that go before the hound hunters they open bait hunters. i mean just kidding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh so they're out there killing bears sitting on stands right now probably and uh kill them all mark you're not gonna have any left by the time you get up there oh come on now uh luckily all the big ones are nocturnal and they'll never kill them. <laughs> i'm spreading hate and discontent no turf wars exactly what we're not supposed to do right but uh, September 14th, our, our hunting season opens for bear. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty booked up, um, you know, the first uh, really three, four weeks. I'm right out straight. And it's uh, there's uh, not a lot of natural feed this year, so they're really hitting the baits hard. Um, you know, it'll be kind of fast and furious. And the, the bears are fat right now. I've treed some really large bears that generally you don't tree, but they're they're carrying so much fat they can't stay on the ground and fight the dogs so um you know you're treeing them and and that means also that they're going to go in really early by the 
by the first week in October, a lot of places in Maine, it'll be really hard to find a bear race. Um, you know, younger bears will be about out, but the big ones will be, you know, either close to where they're going to den or starting to go in. Uh, you know, it usually gets pretty slim pickings in October. Do you, uh, so how do you navigate deer hunters? I mean, the same so, seasons uh, or they... You know, bow hunters can go uh, right now um, during part of the, the hound season. But honestly, um, you know, the bigger, I guess the bigger um, one would be the bird hunters and the moose hunters uh, because the, the moose hunters are going right in the middle of hound season as well as the bird hunters. And grouse hunting here is a real big thing in Maine. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually, the, the rifle season opens later in November. We're all, we're all done with the hounds by then. So there's no conflict there. But, uh, you know, really, we don't seem to have too much trouble with uh, moose hunters about the only thing they do is you're not supposed to block these logging roads off. But these moose hunters, some of them will get two miles of road. Well, we pay money from the timber companies to have bait sites. And, you know, if we got a bait site down there that this guy's blocking it, that gets to be a little little bit of friction sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you know, these but, winter uh, truck off the road, right? Yeah, oh, uh, we've had a few episodes, yeah. But yeah, you know, for the most part, it's pretty good. Uh, The bird hunters sometimes pick your dogs up and, you know, they don't realize what these dogs are are doing. And, you know, everybody thinks a fat dog is a happy dog now. So they they see an athlete of a dog and they think he's starving to death. And, you know, so they'll pick them up and you're chasing your dogs around and high-speed chases sometimes trying to get them back from well-meaning bird hunters you know they don't realize yeah what the gps are and the garments on them and everything which is amazing you think i mean i, I guess some of the, that is one thing about um bird hunters and i always say is there's different segments of bird hunting that some believe right. in gps dollars some don't need a gps dollar some have a check leash and some some dogs are wide some dogs are short i mean there's just so many different you, know, right. you can't loop them in one group and so it amazes but it amazes me that people don't understand what they don't understand more what our dogs do as far as right and you know the largest uh, percentage of the population bird hunting is uh really they just they're road hunters they drive around and and swoop ground swap the the grouse in the road i mean that, that's the main tradition you know yeah. so those are the ones that really don't know they'll see a dog out in the middle you know and you might be sometimes you're you're 100 miles from you know, any civilization really, you're out in logging roads and big country. And so they think the dog's lost and, uh, and you know, they mean well, they just, they don't realize what they're doing. And usually we're right around trying to get to the road to get them. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I had to call the border patrol one time and chase a guy down that stole a dog. And that was the one good thing. The one time Facebook saved me, a uh, guy posted a picture of him and his new dog and I looked at that picture and I said, that's my dog that I've been missing for a week looking for, you know, and I called up border patrol because this was up near the Canadian border. And, you know, there is no really state police up there. You just use the border patrol. So they swooped in there and got my dog back and uh, it all worked out in the end, but uh, yeah, it's a different world sometimes. Wow. He was just going to make a pet out of it, huh? He wasn't even a hound guy. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, he was, he was a logger out there and, um, you know, really? a lot. I, I mean, gosh. Yeah, most times the the loggers are great. You know, and uh, this particular fella, he and he made up. You know, I I basically I stayed until two in the morning, and this dog was two miles deep. 
and finally laid down. I was baying a bear all day. And I said, well, I'll come back at daylight. And usually they get up, or you know, about daylight and start moving towards the road. They hear yeah. the log drop. So I got up there and, and I put the dog, you know, I put the collar down on a two minute update. So I'd have plenty of battery life and all that. She was just gone. And this guy tried to tell the border patrol that, you know, he'd been driving by there for three days and the dog was looking lost and walking up and down the road. And, you know, she, she vanished into thin air. So, uh, I was lucky enough to get her back, you know? Well, cool. We probably should start wrapping up. Jason, you got anything you missed? Sleeping. I think we covered all that and then some. But I had in mind. I think we did. That's a lot Mark, to cover. Got, That's a long one. But I mean, when you got taxidermy, I know we started biology. off in Oregon, and it's like, I'm, like I don't even remember. Started in Oregon, and in Maine, we covered I know. a lot of ground. Utah, We've we hit Utah. That was a fast hour and a half, or well, probably a little over now. Doesn't put everybody to sleep. <laughs> no, no, it was a good one. So awesome. Well, Mark Dufresne, right? Yeah, I see. Why is the S silent? I don't even. It, it, it's a it's a French thing. Oh, we just ruined the whole <laughs> podcast. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, we can edit uh, that out. I don't know. Just cut that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it gets everybody. Yeah, no, I, you don't. That's the one trying to call me and sell me an extended warranty for my <laughs> piece of junk pickup truck out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really butcher my name well. Yeah, right on. All right, Mark, we're going to have to do this again. That was a good one. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. You have a good one. Good luck this season. you got a couple weeks. All right. Thank you. All right, see you, Mark. <laughs>